Good morning. Please stand as you are able and join me in the responsive call to worship. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Let all the people say, God's steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, God's steadfast love endures forever. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us worship God.
Friends, the proof of God's love is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, having faith in him, we can come to confession, not trembling in fear, but trusting in God's limitless grace. So let us confess to God and one another using the unison prayer of confession that's shown on your screen or in your bulletin. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Siblings in Christ, hear the good news that Christ on the cross and in his body has taken on your sin and your shame so that you might be dead to sin but alive to all that is good. In the name of Jesus Christ, praise God. You are forgiven. You are deeply loved. Amen. Friends, it would give me so much joy to come and give you a handshake and a big hug at this time. But right now, we will still pass the peace of Christ from our seats with a wave or with a peace sign, and that's how we will pass the peace. As a forgiven and reconciled people, may the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. You may be seated.
At this point in the service, we are about to dismiss our pre-K to fifth graders to go to children's church and communion class. So from our seats, we will say to them, may God be with you there. And they will respond with, may God be with you here. Are you all ready? We will say to them, may God be with you there. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And welcome to worship here at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church on this 18th Sunday in the season of Pentecost. Whether it's your first time or it's been a long time, you bless us with your presence. In accordance with the protocol set by our reopen task force, we here at Fifth Avenue are going to wear our masks this fall at all times in worship and throughout the church building. As you know, clergy and church officers leading worship who are fully vaccinated are permitted to remove their masks to speak and put them back on when finished. With that exception, we are going to love our neighbors by wearing masks at all times. Friends, we are open and we do this every week. Every Sunday, we gather together in person and online. Here, we lean into the beauty of worship, lend our voices to prayer and song, and support each other on the journey of life. We are a diverse crew. Spend time with this congregation, and you will see we don't all look alike. We sure don't all think alike. And yet, by the grace of God, we are united. We are knit together in our desire to follow Jesus Christ. If you are a visitor here this morning, would you do me a favor? Would you please stand as you are able and allow us to welcome you? Thank you. Now here's the thing. We don't just want to clap for those who are new to this place. We actually want to get to know you. Help us get to know you. Take a look in front of you and you'll see in your pew racks a card, a connect card with the QR code. Pull out your phone's camera, go to the website and fill in your info or fill it in with that small golf pencil you see there and drop it off in a plate on the way out. And we'll be sure to reach out to you this week. After the service, please stick around. Join us for coffee outside on the 55th Street entrance of the church. We'll do our best to avoid bunching. We'll use elbow bumps to introduce, you know, yourself to the clergy. And our welcome team is there to answer any questions you may have. We mentioned that many of us are getting used to being back in public spaces again and indeed, it seems that we are getting reacclimated. You know that last week after giving the reminder to put our phones on silent mode or on vibrate, the number of phones going off was reduced significantly. So I will pause once more to give a gentle reminder to do just that. 
to silence your phones if you have not already. And we thank you very much. In light of the Delta variant and rising virus rates in the country and in our city, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church encourages all of its members, friends, and staff to follow Christ's command. Love your neighbor. Manifest your love by wearing a mask at church, distancing, and getting your jab if you can. Friends, that concludes this morning's announcements. I invite you now to quiet your minds and open your hearts as we listen for God's word.
Let us pray. Gracious God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds so that as your scripture is read and as your word is proclaimed, we might hear what it is that you would say to us this day. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This autumn from September until late in November, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church is reflecting on biblical passages about building. As we try to emerge from this pandemic, we are reading stories from the good book in which people of faith rose from the rubble of a catastrophe and guided by God began to reshape the world. Two weeks ago, we listened to the prophet Ezekiel dreaming about religious communities helping the world recover after a troubled time. Zeke had us picture temples and, and churches overflowing with the water of life, a source of relief for valleys of dry bones. Last week, we talked about the Tower of Babel. In this story, the human family set out to build a gigantic monument to themselves. In the face of this arrogance, the Almighty nudged the tower builders toward a healthier, more diverse path. Today, we turn our focus from the corporate to the individual. What sort of person does God picture building a better world? Who is God looking to recruit for this important work? And to answer, we are going to turn our attention to Psalm 118. Now, before I read Psalm 118, it may be helpful for us to, to rehearse a few key things about the Psalms. The book of Psalms is an ancient prayer book or hymn book. And, and these prayers, these poems, these songs were written by people of faith for use in worship. They were meant to be interactive. M many of the Psalms were scripted with different parts for different voices. Sometimes, for example, the priest was supposed to sing one part and then the congregation would sing another. In Psalm 118, one part is voiced by an individual, a person who's been going through a rough time, while the rest of the psalm is spoken by a community who cares for and supports this individual. With all that in mind, let's turn our attention to the reading. And, and if you notice in your bulletin or on your screen, we've put the words that belong to the community in bold. And I encourage you to go ahead, let's make this interactive, and I encourage you to read the bold phrases out loud with me. As together, 
we listen for God's word echoing from Psalm 118, beginning with the first verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear. What can mortals do to me? Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's an exercise, a homework assignment, familiar to many seminarians, and it goes like this. Take a psalm, any one of the 150 psalms, and imagine that psalm's backstory. Who wrote it? Can can you picture a concrete human being? Is she a member of the youth group? Or a retiree? Is he barely scraping to get by? Or wealthier than Solomon? Is she happy? Is he angry? Is she full of faith? Is he overflowing with doubt and despair? What, what prompted this person to write this particular prayer, this, this song, this poem? What, what good news got the psalmist's creative juices flowing? Or, or, or what hard circumstances pulled troubled words from her fractured heart? Imagine a backstory to the psalm. What do you think the backstory to Psalm 118 might be? Psalm 118 begins with praise. The psalmist stands right in the middle of the congregation and belts out, The Lord is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. And then, as if she's standing in front of the student section at one of these massive college football games, she leads the congregation in a triumphant chant. You over there in the red jerseys, God's steadfast love endures forever. You over here in the white jerseys, God's steadfast love endures forever. Everybody all together, God's steadfast love endures forever. Let me tell you a secret. As a pastor, when somebody approaches me 
overflowing with praise for God, hopped up on the Spirit, I typically think one of two things is going on. Either, one, the person is legitimately filled with joy and cannot help but share, or two, the person wants something from me. Over the last four months, I have been trying to assist my mother-in-law in selling a classic car, a 1953 MG that she has owned for over 50 years. I've been fielding calls about the car, answering questions about its condition, and talking price. Occasionally, sifting through the bottomless pit of information that is the internet, potential buyers figure out who I am. They tumble to the fact that they are negotiating with a pastor. Now, would it surprise you if I told you that when people discover they're bargaining with a preacher, their language and demeanor changes? <laughs> All of a sudden, people's questions about whether the engine is original to the car are interspersed with assurances that God's purposes for the vehicle will be done <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven, automotively speaking. <laughs> Listening to this change in tone, I wonder, is this just a brazen ploy to get on my good side and have me lower the price of the car? Or do these folk suddenly feel free to talk in a way that they've always wanted to talk? Could both things be happening at the same time? Yes, they want to angle for a better deal, and yes, they want to approach this transaction and, and perhaps more of their lives through a spiritual lens. I'm honestly not exactly sure what's going on. And, and that takes me back to Psalm 118. Is the psalmist here utterly swept up in the spirit. I mean, it's in the Bible. She must be, right? Is she overwhelmed with joy? Or is she performing for the congregation? Is she using the language of church to angle for something that she desperately wants, the affirmation of the wider community? Maybe it's both. I can say it she proclaims. I can say now what you folks say here all of the time. In fact, I want to say it. I want to say it here in the middle of the sanctuary, and I want you to say it with me. God's steadfast love endures forever. And then basking in the call and response that happens, our, our singer takes a risk. We get insight into the psalmist's backstory. Out of my distress, she writes, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. A few years ago, Seth Stevens Davidowitz wrote a piece in the New York Times entitled, Googling for God. People may not always share their spiritual doubts, questions, and hopes with their friends, family members, or even with clergy. 
but they inevitably, Stephen Stavidowitz writes, they inevitably share them with Google. His point is well made. You can learn a lot about the spiritual condition of America by studying the questions that we put to Google. The top two God-based questions that Americans type into internet search bars are number one, who created God? And number two, why does God allow human suffering? These are classic theological questions. And in a way, I find it comforting that people are still asking them. It's the third most common question, though, that people type into Google that's had me in a funk all this past week. Question number three is both simple and excruciating. It goes like this. Why does God hate me? Imagine somebody that you care about typing that question into an internet search engine. It's such a sad inquiry. But it doesn't surprise us. Not really. When life turns awful, when we're miserable or being persecuted, when we can see no way forward, it's absolutely natural to wonder if God has it in for us. Now, now some blame churches for the prevalence of this gut-wrenching question, and, and it's true. There are churches out there that preach hate. But most, most do not. And, and curiously, many who ask spiritual questions of Google have never been to a church or a synagogue. They've never heard a Sunday school teacher tell the story of biblical figures like Sarah or, or Job or even Jesus. At one time or another, all of these paragons of the faith lifted gut-wrenching questions to heaven. The author of Psalm 22 asked, why, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suffering people have always wondered if God or the fates or some other supernatural force has it in for them. We ask, I suspect, because we cannot accept the alternative, a universe in which there is no higher power, in which pain and suffering and injustice are simply the result of chaotic chance. We ask desperately hoping that someone, maybe it's Google, maybe it's God, can make sense of our distress. You can see this combination of hope and distress in other painful but very common questions that people type into search engines. According to Stevens Davidowitz, many of the religious questions that people put to Google begin with the same phrase, why did God make me fill in the blank? Why did God make me ugly? Why did God make me gay? 
Why did God make me black? Why did God make me stupid? The author of Psalm 118 would recognize these questions. Heck, (laughs) she's asked these questions. Why do you hate me, God? Why did you make me like this? The psalmist hurls her pain at heaven, and then something happens. Something that leads her to write Psalm 118. Returning to her community, she stands in front of the entire congregation and sings a new song. She asks the community to open the gates of righteousness to her, to let her in. What turned things around? What's behind the psalmist's newfound hope and confidence? What motivated this author to to leave shame and fear behind, to stop asking why does God hate me, and to stand in the middle of the temple preaching to the gathered congregation. What's got her bold and proud and ready to witness? She actually answers these questions right there in the psalm. She tells us, she writes, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Nice image. But what is the psalmist talking about? Some of you know that every summer I take on a small project at our rustic cabin in northern Minnesota. One year I built a woodshed. One year I built a rack for kayaks, and this past summer, I put a window in an old shed, a a stale spiderweb-filled shack in desperate need of both light and ventilation. To prepare, I went to the local lumberyard. I told the fellow at the cash register that I wanted to buy six eight-foot two-by-fours. I gasped at the sum that he quoted me. Lumber prices have gone up a lot during the pandemic. It seems that everyone is busying themselves with do-it-yourself projects. Still, I paid the steep bill, and then I drove our pickup truck out to the section of the yard where the two-by-fours are stacked. And there, I began to sort the wood. The boards on the top of this big pile were clearly rejects. Some of them had knots in them. Some, when I held them up for scrutiny, had a bend or a twist along their length. I pushed these to the side. If I was paying this much for lumber, I was going to get perfect two-by-fours, pristine two-by-fours, two-by-fours from which you could build fine furniture. As I culled the pile, Methodically looking for the six best boards, another pickup truck pulled up. A ruddy-faced contractor in his 30s hopped out and began loading about 60 two-by-fours into his truck. He took the ones that I'd already discarded. He took the next layer down. He took the first 60 two-by-fours that he could get his hands on. He finished loading before I did. Pausing, Before driving away, he 
looked quizzically at me. I was trying to determine if the board that I had in my hands had a slight curve to it. He shook his head and smiled. You know, he said, sometimes the crooked ones are the best ones of all. As he drove away, I rolled my eyes right. Later, when I got back to the cabin, I started on the project. I pulled out my tape measure and my level. I began to mark the opening where the new window would go. And it was then that I realized something. The entire shed was about two inches out of square. I laughed. My six impeccable boards looked fabulous. But what I needed? What I really needed to make a snug opening for my new window was a two by four with some curve to it. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The author of Psalm 118 has been embraced by an important truth a truth that runs deep and wide through the stories of our faith. And it goes like this. The Almighty has got a thing for rejected stones. My friends, our tradition is clear. God doesn't hate those who are suffering or struggling. Not at all. God doesn't mark down in the book of life that hardship is a personal failing. Quite the opposite. God has a special love for those who struggle. God knows that those who've toiled to face unfair challenges have developed perspective and character and strength that this world desperately needs. And so God consistently loads heaven's pickup truck with crooked two-by-fours. God tapped Moses, a tongue-tied man, to speak the truth to Pharaoh. God tapped Ruth, a widowed foreigner, to become the matriarch of Israel's royal family. God tapped David, the youngest scrawniest child of a shepherd to become king. God tapped Mary, an unwed woman with very little means, to become the mother of our Lord. God tapped Paul, a once malicious persecutor of the faith to spread Christianity throughout the ancient world. Why does God choose all of these rejected stones? Now, some might answer, that's just who God is. God is kind. God is nice. God picks people for heaven's kickball team who nobody else would pick. Hmm. Is that right? I do think God is compassionate. But I also believe God is thrifty and wise. And, and what's more, I think God has a better imagination than we do. I'm trying to say here, I don't think God chooses people to serve out of pity. God chooses people because they are available, ready to hand, and because who they are will bring needed perspective and critical strength to community. 
Take a look, if you will, at your, at your bulletin cover or at the image on your screen. This is a picture of a dry stone wall in County Cork, Ireland. Walls like this are built without mortar. And they're built with stones that come from nearby fields. Walls like this are as strong or stronger than walls built with perfectly milled stones that come from a quarry and are bound together by cement. Historians claim that dry stone walls are among the oldest human constructions. You can probably tell by now that I became a bit obsessed with dry stone wall construction this past week. Um, and, and so I have to give you yet another fact. Did you know that the different types of, of stones that you can see in this picture have names? For example, the small stones that you see there, the ones locking the larger stones in place, are called hearting stones. I like that. What makes these walls so strong? In the end, says the Dry Stone Wall Association of Ireland, the DSWAI, it's the skill of the builder. A good builder knows that irregularly shaped stones fit together with skill, hold tightly onto each other, creating a beautiful, asymmetrical, but surprisingly strong structure. When the author of Psalm 118 writes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, she's writing about herself. And the congregation caught up in this amazing moment, glad for her personal restoration, embracing her leadership, respond with some of the most famous words in scripture. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the Lord's doing. This is the way God works. This is the way God builds. Let's celebrate. Jesus, you know Jesus loved Psalm 118. He quotes from it multiple times in the Gospels. He applies it to himself. Other New Testament authors do the same. It makes sense. This ancient prayer pictures God as a dry stone wall builder. It tells of an artisan who picks up rocks that others would overlook or reject and who says, I know what to do with you. I know just where this parting stone needs to go to tie everything together. God heard me, the psalmist testifies. God lifted me up and set me down in a better place. God let me know that no matter who I am and what mortals might say about me, I belong to God and I belong here. I'm needed here, open to me the gates of righteousness. Would that we all would do exactly
Will you join me in voicing the prayer for the day as it appears in your bulletin and on your screen? If those who are able, I invite you to please stand. Let us pray. Loving and good God, help us put aside our cynicism and our apathy, our shame and our fear, our anger and our pride. Give us courage so that we might trust in your steadfast love and then use us to bring about your will in this world, today and every day. Amen. may be seated. Will you please join me in prayer? Holy and ever-living God, we humbly reach out to you with praises and our concerns for our community and world. At this time, we do our best to let go of our fears, our waves of anger, our cynicism, to trust in your steadfast love. If anyone is willing to hear our groans and pains, groans and pains that need to be transformed, it is you, the loving one who listens and hears. So we confess to you that at times we are angry and we say things we don't mean. We want to hate our neighbor. And it's easier to dismiss the ones that do not think like us. It's easier to blame others for our problems. It is so much easier to do that. In fact, we want that. Can you make that happen, God? Can you help us hate our neighbor? Of course you won't, because you desire for us to be like you. Give us the tougher but better road to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. You have shown to be that kind of God. We trust in your unfailing love. We pray for those who are dealing with pain, whether it's physical or emotional, spiritual, or any type of pain. May you bring peace and healing to those who are hurting. 
we trust in your steadfast love. Comfort those that are grieving and experiencing the loss of loved ones, relationships, jobs, safety and security. Restore to them the joy of your salvation. And holy God, for those of us who are living and or working in Manhattan, we experienced the full event of the General Assembly of the United Nations this week. As the barriers are lifted and national leaders leave the city, we are reminded to pray for them. We ask that your wisdom may be ingrained in their heart. May they take on the holy attributes in their decision-making and execution of orders. Turn their hearts to compassion, peace, and justice, especially for the marginalized. We lament how refugees from Afghanistan, South and Central America, and Haiti are being treated in this nation. Your beloved children are not being seen or treated with human dignity, and we cry with them on empty promises of hope given. Give us and the nations the tools and empathy to enact your commandment to love the stranger. We trust in your unfailing love. So we say to you, good and gracious God, be with us. Give us confidence and joy in all that we do, for we offer our lives and our prayers to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, all that we have, all that we are, are gifts from God, from our life to our breath, our friendships and financial resources, God has blessed us. We give not as though we can pay God back, we give out of gratitude. One of the ways this church uses your gifts is to undergird the robust outreach and mission ministry. This includes everything from support for our local and international mission partners, our ministries to address food insecurity like Meals on Heels and a Place at the Table, our outreach to our homeless and insecurely housed neighbors supported by our ecumenical partnership with St. Patrick's and St. Thomas, and during a typical year, many special events for volunteers. During our offertory anthem, we will not be passing the plates. We have provided other ways for you to give. If you look in front of you, you'll find a QR code. Using it is simple. You take out your phone and go to your camera. Point the camera on the code and momentarily, almost magically, a bubble pops up that you can touch and take you to a website where you can securely make a donation from the convenience of your smartphone. Live streaming friends, you will see this code on your screen. Feel free to pull out your phones now.
Of course, as we are determined not to ignore our friends who prefer cash or checks, plates are located at the exits of the sanctuary. You may also drop your offering in the plates as you depart from worship. Thank you for supporting the many ministries of this church, and thank you so much for your generosity.
Gracious God, through your steadfast love, you have given us all that we have. In gratitude, we offer these gifts and tithes and ask that you bless them and help us use them wisely in your service. Amen. Do not forget that God has a thing for rejected stones. So my friends, do what you can to open to them the gates of righteousness. And as you do so, have courage.
Hold fast to what is good. Do not return to anyone evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen.